This is Strange Assembly, episode 304, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I'm Chris Stevenson, this is Strange Assembly, and I'm here today to talk about The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, a Feywild Adventure. Wild Beyond the Witchlight is the first in a rapid succession of Dungeons & Dragons books hitting before the end of the year. We've got this, we've got Fizban talking about dragons, and we've got a visit to the Magic the Gathering setting of Strixhaven yet to come. But for now, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Just like the title says, this is an adventure primarily set in the Feywild, the Dungeons & Dragons home of fairies and fairy tales and Lewis Carroll. Note that although the book bills itself as an adventure for characters of levels 1 to 8, it's really for levels 1 to 7 as the characters don't reach level 8 until the adventure is over. I'll note that as an adventure book, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight is primarily tailored towards dungeon masters. However, this review is not going to spoil anything more than you would learn by reading the back of the book or attending a session 0. It's just going to be giving you these basics and kind of an overview of how it feels. But if you want to go in completely blind, you've been warned. Now, the Witchlight of The Wild Beyond the Witchlight is the Witchlight Carnival, which, like its more sinister companion from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, pops around the plains and in stopping near the player characters is going to become the jumping off point for this adventure. And this is a fun opening act that does a good job for setting the tone of the adventure. You're going to have carnival games. You're going to have rides. You're going to have, again, a a kickoff of what the book would accurately describe as, as whimsical. But then the bulk of the adventure takes place in the Feywild itself, in a domain of quote-unquote delight known as Prismere. Of course, not everything is entirely delightful in Prismere, or this wouldn't be much of an adventure, would it? Note that there is a pull-out map in the back of the book. It has the carnival on one side and Prismere on the other. Now, the wild beyond the witchlight leans heavily into the thematics of its inspiration. Like it says on the front of the book, this adventure is whimsical, but it is a wicked whimsy. There's a real helping of Alice in Wonderland and through the Looking Glass inspiration here, and I'm reminded a lot of the movie Labyrinth as well. There are cute things, and there are riddles, and there's wonder, but there are also things that will lop off your head, or smile and chat happily to you while leading you off to your doom, or entice you into some really bad bargains. Now this is D&D, so there are definitely battles, and nifty ones, but heroes rarely prevail in fairy tales just by stabbing everything they see. Did Sarah Williams rely on force of arms to prevail over Jareth the Goblin King? I think not. Nor did she save Toby by acting alone or stomping through the labyrinth without regard for the rules of that place. And the wild beyond the witchlight really captures that feel. Characters must understand and play by the rules of the realm they're traversing. They must figure out when to trust and when to stab first. Even for friendly characters, they must piece together desires and motivations. For rarely is, I'll take 10 gold, the price for what those characters want. 
the player char characters must be able to solve riddles. They must be able to figure out plays on words. Altogether, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight does a wonderful job of conveying a sense of place that's quite distinct from other Dungeons and Dragons adventures. Another great thing about The Wild Beyond the Witchlight is the way that the characters' actions matter. Not just in a, oh, we're responsible to feeding the bad guy and saving the world at the end sort of way. I can't tell you much without getting into spoilers, but there's an interlocking nature to the adventure. NPCs have interactions with each other, they can appear again, and the rules of the Feywild have a mind of their own. What the characters do earlier in the venture can reverberate to their benefit or detriment later on. And to help manage this, the DM is provided with a story tracker to help keep these things in line. In addition, pages and pages of NPCs get role-playing help cards for the DM. I mean, it's probably pointless that they're actually in the book, because presumably you're going to download these and print them out instead of trying to photocopy, but, you know, they're in there. Again, there is a lot more than just bashing skulls at work here. Now, in addition to the adventure, there is some limited mechanical content. That includes monsters and magic items back in the DM section, which you'll have to wait and hear about from them. But the main attraction is probably two new playable species, fairies and herringon. Fairies are probably what you'd look for in a fairy. They're fey, they're small, and they can just fly. I love fly speeds. They can cast druid craft at will, and eventually they can light things up with fairy fire, or go all Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell, with enlarge and reduce. Harringen are rabbit folk. They get a nice selection of bonuses. There's a boost to initiative, increased perception, a bonus on dexterity saves, and a few times a day, a bonus action rabbit hop around the battlefield. Both of these new playable species I, I can see an attraction to. Both of them have concepts that I think will appeal to uh, a decent number of players, and both of them are solidly interesting mechanically. There are also two backgrounds, but oddly I would discourage using them for this adventure, especially the Witchlight Hand, who literally works at the carnival. The other option, the Fae Lost, grew up in the Feywild. The Fae Lost's familiarity with the Feywild is general enough to not really be a problem. There's just this slight degrading of the sense of wonder and oddity if one of the characters is used to this sort of stuff. But the Witchlight Hand kicks this up a notch, as the entire first part of the adventure is just a day at the job for them, unless the DM contrives to have the Witchlight Hand not actually know anything about the carnival or the people who work there. So personally, I would suggest just saving these backgrounds for use with some other character on some other adventure. But again, the bulk of this is an adventure. And as an adventure, the wild beyond the Witchlight is really fun. If you're looking for just a traditional hack and slash or a dungeon delve, this isn't what you're looking for. But the wild beyond the Witchlight is really effective at what it sets out to do, to capture this sense of fairy and fairy tales and translating that into a Dungeons and Dragon adventure. And it mixes that with a good helping of interesting NPCs and this interlocked story that will really shine in the hands of a solid DM. 
If that sort of thing interests you, I would highly recommend checking out The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you normally get your podcasts. If you can't find your podcast on a particular service, please let me know so I can fix that. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments and feedback. You can also find us at the usual social media. We're facebook.com strangeassembly at Strange Assembly on Twitter, and Strange Assembly on Instagram. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.